Hello and welcome to Adrian Goldberg's talk show. This time a Goldberg Investigates special, looking at a Manchester-based company called Veristar. They describe themselves as the UK's leading provider of essential services to small businesses, providing telecoms, energy and even water, and they boast of putting customers first. But my eye was caught by a website about them, set up by a former customer who has compiled a list of hundreds of complaints made to review websites. The reviews suggest that sales staff sometimes make promises the company can't deliver, that complaints can be mishandled or ignored. We'll hear claims that Veristar games the popular Trustpilot website in an attempt to either remove negative reviews or reduce their impact. A former Veristar salesman will tell me how he successfully ended up with hundreds of pounds after successfully challenging the company over his contract, and from a business owner who says she has been made ill after being bombarded with phone calls despite asking them to stop. Veristar, as you might expect, defend themselves robustly against many of these allegations. Our journey starts with a train ride to Yorkshire. Hello, my name's Maria Jesney. I live in Goul, East Yorkshire. I was in the pub trade for 30 years in Goul and I know my way around. And what do you do now? I've retired. We sold the pub six years ago and I'm enjoying retirement. You spent a lot of your time in retirement running a website. Tell me what it's called and why it started. It's called unicom-complaints.co.uk and it started while I was in the pub trade. I was sort of accidentally joined a company called Unicom at the time. Once I realised it was a three-year contract, I, um, dis- I tried to cancel at the end of three years, but they rolled it over automatically without informing me. Now, Ofcom have stopped that, by the way, but at the time I was absolutely horrified that a company could do something so unfair in my opinion, that I decided that I would do something about this and bring it to people's attention. And I set up the website just to post a few complaints for people to see what is really going on. Now, if you're listening closely, a couple of questions might already have popped into your mind. How could Maria accidentally have signed a contract with this company? Simple. She had leased out her pub for a time and the tenant had signed a deal with Unicom, which Maria was happy to honour. What she didn't like was the company rolling over the deal after three years without her permission. Question number two. Who at Unicom? Isn't this investigation about a company called Veristar? Well, yes it is. Unicom is an old trading name. The company which owned it, called Universal Utilities, changed to Veristar in October 2015. That was just three months after they were fined £200,000 by the telecoms regulator Ofcom for mis-selling landline telephone services. Veristar now operates a string of different brand names, including Kinex and Clear Business. The Unicom brand also still exists. Maria's website, which she started in 2013, quickly became a magnet for disgruntled customers. And six years later, they're still coming in. 
The complaints I am mostly about are for telecom contracts. The Kinex, Unicom and Clear Business are the three companies that people seem to complain about. What's the common thread between them? The most common problem that we seem to hear about is that the rep goes along to offer a better service for a lower price. But then when these promises don't materialise, customers then try to cancel the contract. They find out that they're in a three-year contract and so they can either pay termination fees, sometimes it amounts to thousands, or they can stay in the contract till the end of the three years. And you say that customers are frequently dissatisfied. These are broadband customers. What what sort of complaints do they have? That the, the bills are more expensive than their previous supplier, that the broadband isn't as efficient as what the previous supplier supplied. So in many cases, they want to quit the contract. And you say they find out that they've got a three-year contract. Surely they would know that when they signed up. It's amazing how many people don't realise that they signed up to a three-year contract, or two or a three-year contract. Ofcom have ruled that telecoms must offer 12-month contracts to small businesses and to private domestic premises. But it's something that Veristar don't seem to do. They seem to offer two- and three-year contracts as a matter of course. I have heard from people who did ask for a shorter contract, but they were told that they don't give anything shorter than two years. We'll hear more from Maria later. Now, when I contacted Veristar, they told me that they have over 160,000 small business customers who source their essential services through their various brands, from telecoms to water, energy and insurance. They said the overwhelming majority of customers are delighted with the service they receive, renewing and expanding their contracts year after year. As with all utility contracts, they added, issues can arise in a minority of cases but they said they always look to resolve these as swiftly as possible, working with their customers. And they continued, We are very proud of our record, and this year we're recognised as Business of the Year at the Greater Manchester Business Awards. I'm heading now to the West Country to meet Gillian, who bought a home and business broadband package from Kinex, a Veristar company. I've come into a shop in Plymouth now called Phoenix Wings. This is run by Gillian Buckland, and Gillian is a customer of Kinex. Hello, Gillian. You're Hello, right. yes. Should we just go and nip into the of back room course, and have a quick yes, chat? Certainly, yes. So, Gillian, we've come into the uh, office here away from the shop and just keen to hear about your experience of uh, Kinex. When did you first get in touch with the company, or when did they first get in touch with you? One of their salespeople came in to the shop in February last year, which was 2018. I had been not terribly well, and he promised me that I would have cheaper electricity by almost a third. He promised me that I would have more reliable and uh, better broadband. He promised me that um, 
my telephone calls would be cheaper. He also said they did mobile phones as well, mobile phone contracts. So I, at the time, I thought, well, this sounds like a good deal. Normally, I would check people out, but I wasn't firing on all cylinders, I don't think. <laughs> Since then, it started with the electricity bill. The second month, they overcharged me by a considerable amount. And since then, they've overcharged me four times in 13 months. And I have had numerous phone calls with them when I have tried to work out exactly, even though I've been giving them meter readings, they have ignored them and come up with estimated readings. They then say that they don't know how these mistakes have been made. And then they uh, come up with quite complex explanations. Now, I have a degree. I'm not the world's not an Einstein, but I'm definitely not the most stupid of people. And I still couldn't follow their explanations on the phone. And so I asked them, I've asked them on several occasions to put it in writing and show me exactly how they've worked it out. And they have agreed to do that. And then I've not received anything. They've never put anything in writing to me. And when you say you've been overcharged then for your electricity supply, have they acknowledge that you have been overcharged and and made good in terms of their demands to you they have then they've said to me that's fine we've sorted it out now pay this amount and then you don't don't owe anything else and then the following month they've overcharged me again and they've said it was backlogged to the month before and when I've told them that they'd worked it out once and told me that I didn't owe that money they then said, no, that wasn't right. They've now had a chance to work it all out completely, and I still owed the money. My head's spinning here. So in one month, they say that you owe a particular amount of money, which you say is overcharging. Yes. You've queried that. Yes. They've acknowledged that you have been overcharged. Yes. Uh, but then the next month, you're told that you owe a certain amount of money, which includes yes. the overcharge amount which they've previously acknowledged that you don't know. That's right. Uh, or they send me threatening letters, threatening me with disconnection. And then um, and that's here at this business. Yes. Uh, which for a business, though, I mean, that, that could be the difference between whether exactly, you stay open or not. Exactly, because we have our, our card services, our chip and pin card services run through that. So they've threatened me with disconnection. They've then said that... I do own the money, and then when I ring up and speak to somebody to say no, that it was a mistake, they don't owe the money. And then they send me, I get home and find threatening phone calls on the, on saying that I'm going to be disconnected and I need to ring them urgently. So you've had difficulty with your electricity bills then? That's right. What about the broadband services? The broadband services, since day one, we have a website, so we try to upload photographs and information. It, it c- continually crashes. Or we turn it on and we find that it says, uh, connected, no no internet. Connected, no internet. We have to turn it off and on seven times a day, the router. So this was February 2018 Mm -hmm. that you signed a contract. And I'm talking to you now in late August 2019, 18 months on. Yes. Why don't you just walk away? Why don't you just scrap the contract? They have me in a three-year contract, tied into a three-year contract. It isn't that easy to walk for a business to walk away from a contract that you're signed into legally. If I could wave a magic wand today and get you out of that contract, what would you do? I would take it, but I would still want other people to know that Connects, uh, um, in my opinion, they don't provide a good service. 
they haven't provided a good service to me. Their solution to my complaints has been that if I pay more for the services, they will upgrade me and then they will give me a good service. But that, when they're not giving me a good service for what I'm already paying for, is not the solution to me. But moreover than that, Adrian, these people have driven me to the point of being extremely unwell. I have had to engage a solicitor to talk to them now because I can no longer bear to speak to them. And I have told them this time and time again. Why not? Because they are harassing me. I get letters, emails and um, messages left on my phone at home, voicemail messages, text messages on my phone. And I get some of those, sometimes four of those in a day saying that I must contact them urgently, even though I've told them that I no longer wish to speak to them. You have raised your concerns about the company with Ofcom, haven't you, with the regulator. On what basis and what did they say? Uh, I said that that, that their services were not fit for purpose, that I was paying for services that were not... That, you know, we're not providing the service that they had promised. So essentially, as, as a telecoms regulator, yes. Ofcom should be intervening because this company isn't delivering the service that it promises to deliver. That it promised that I was promised before I signed up, particularly, and also that they had contravened part of the Ofcom rules, where it says that people should be offered a 12-month contract for their telecom services. At the first instance, I was never offered that. They went straight to a three-year contract and signed me into that. What did Ofcom say? Ofcom said, bear with me, I'm trying to find what they said to me. They actually said that they, although they were the telecoms regulator, they could not take direct action against the company, but that they did log all complaints. And they suggested one or two things, other agencies that I could go to. What did you think about that? I was disappointed in that because I was hoping that they could take action on the rules that this company, that I felt the rules that this company had actually broken, but they didn't seem to follow that up in any way. You've got a lovely shop out front full of crystals, gemstones, and there's soothing music playing in the background. It really is a place of tranquility and calm. Since you started talking about this company, you have become, I have to say, incredibly agitated. Yes, yes. This this company have brought me to tears. I cannot get any further forward with them. I cannot resolve the problems with them. And I just want to see the back of them. When I spoke to Veristar about Gillian's case, they said there was no evidence that she was missold broadband and they disputed some of the details of the story. They told me she raised broadband issues with them three times and said that any issues appear to be limited to Wi-Fi, which is outside of their control. Gillian, they said, has contacted them on four occasions about her electricity invoices. On one occasion, they said an incorrect start reading had been used. On two occasions, meter readings had been taken in the middle of the month, so they'd had to estimate usage to the end of the billing period as is standard. And on one occasion... An erroneous reading was uploaded by a meter reader. 
They said that when customers owe outstanding balances, it's standard to chase them for payment and, in some circumstances, to tell them that they might disconnect their services if they fail to pay. Any of their customers, they said, can ask for a 12-month contract, but there is no regulatory obligation for providers to proactively offer 12-month contracts. They said the first letters sent by Gillian's solicitors hadn't reached them, presumably as the postcode was incorrect. Despite the above, they said they recognised their handling of this complaint was not of the standard they would normally expect. They have now written to her solicitors, offering to cancel all of her contracts without termination charges. They've also offered her £200 as a gesture of goodwill. It's not only customers like Gillian who can't wait to leave Veristar. Rob, who worked as a self-employed salesman for a couple of months earlier this year, also quit. He came to feel the company wasn't delivering the service he was promising to customers. Hello, my name is Robert Perry. My relationship with Veristar is that I applied for a sales position with them around mid-February 2019. I had a telephone interview with them initially and then was invited to a training session in Exeter on February the 27th, 2019. I was uh, self-employed as a field sales agent working directly for them. Tell me about the experience then. What was it like? I must admit, when I I first started doing the work, I I did enjoy it. I enjoy meeting people. Veristar's sales process is very well refined. Um, They've obviously been doing it for a long time. Of the three appointments I attended on the first day, I secured two of them as contracts, so that was good. I must admit, though, fairly early on, I did become suspicious of the claims they were making to their customers about broadband reliability. When did you first start to feel uncomfortable about working for the company? We were encouraged to do foot canvassing, soliciting new businesses between appointments and perhaps on any days where they didn't have any leads. And again, this was something I enjoyed. I like cold calling. I like kind of breaking down those barriers that there are. So it's quite a nice thing to do. But I did start getting some feedback from small business owners, managers that had used Connects or Veristar's service in the past. And it could be quite disparaging. So Rob decided to leave and told Veristar he would no longer be acting as a sales agent for them. I then asked for a statement of all the deals, the contracts that I had closed and had not yet heard anything uh, about, hadn't actually received any commission payments for. That uh, I, I chased and chased. It took weeks to actually get a final statement. And when I got the final statement, it showed that because the clawbacks due against my, against my commission were greater than the value of the commission I'd earned, that I actually owed the company £145. Wow. So you ended up trying to leave the company and they said, well, you're in debt to us. They did. However, they were kind enough to say that through goodwill, they weren't going to take action against me to recover the £145. Rob explained that when he persuaded a customer to sign up, he would receive around a third of his commission up front. The rest would follow if and when the contract went live, following a 14-day cooling-off period during which the customer could cancel. If the sale fell through, the company could claw back the commission it had already paid. None of this is unusual in the world of sales. 
What was different about Veristar, according to Rob, was the number of clients who decided to back out of a deal after he'd got them to sign on the dotted line. In his case, more than half pulled out. This was far higher than he'd come to expect when working for other companies. And Rob was so angered by the company's request for a clawback of his commission that he decided to challenge it. It was kind of like the, the final nail in the coffin, if you like, when they said, when, it, when it's all added up, you owe us £145. But we'll, we're prepared to, to, to put it down to goodwill and to not take action against you at this time. So I was quite keen then. I thought, OK, well, look, can you tell me what the contractual grounds are on which you could take me to court and prosecute me for, to, to pay the, the £145 that's owed. I pushed for this, essentially, because I had a good read-through of the contract and I just didn't see anything in there which indicated that they had the right to claw back any advance payments. So what happened when you threw that question at them? So I started by, by just simply saying, well, if you believe that I owe you money... I would like you to take me to court to recover that money. So I pushed them with that for three or four emails, let's say. I didn't receive a response. So I then eventually wrote a letter and, and said, please, if, I, if you believe that I owe you some money, I'd like you to acknowledge the fact and I'd like you to actually take me to court to, to recover the money that I owe you or do whatever. Tell me what legal grounds that you're basing that on. Some people might say you were foolhardy because here was a company who were willing to write off the debt that they said you owed to them. Uh, in all honesty, I just did not believe that what they were saying would stand up in court. I, I really didn't. Having checked through the contract, having checked through everything that I went through in the initial training as well, I could see nothing there which indicated that clawbacks could be made against the advance payments that they were making. And what was the upshot then after you challenged them? So, uh, as I say, I sent a letter by recorded delivery... After that, I subsequently heard from a sales director who said that he would look into it for me. So it, he said, actually, I've looked at it and in balance, it's not £140 that you owe us, or not £145 that you owe us, it's just £35. So again, I said, OK, fine, could you then put that in writing that you believe that I owe you £35? And he didn't. And shortly after that, I received a call whereby he said he believed that I had a point and there may be contractual issues around them making these clawbacks against commission payments. And he admitted as well that they were going to make changes to their employment contract to prevent this from happening again. And did you have to pay the £35 that he then had previously claimed that you owed them? No, he, in accepting that they believed it was their error and that contractually it was their error, he offered me a payment of £500. He said he believed it was more than was due, but out of goodwill, again, the, he would be prepared to make a payment of £500 just because he felt that I'd been treated unfairly. Was that acceptable to you? I went back and calculated exactly how much had been clawed back. And there were other deductions as well, not just clawbacks, but I counted up all the clawbacks and it came to around about £1,275, I believe, that I was owed. So that's what I requested from him after he initially made the offer of £500. And did you get that? 
I got £1,140. Wow, that's incredible. So from a, a starting position of the company saying that you owed them £145, you argued the point on your contract and you received from them more than £1,000. That's correct. Now let's be clear. As an experienced salesman, Rob doesn't object to the idea of clawback in principle, but he couldn't see where it was specified in his contract. I invited Veristar to comment on what Rob had said. I wondered if he'd just been lucky and taken advantage of a one-off loophole, or whether other current or ex-sales staff might also be owed money. I asked how many other members of the sales force were or had been employed on similar contracts. Did Veristar accept that under contracts like Rob's there is no basis for clawing back commissions paid in advance? Have they now changed their contracts to reflect these concerns? Veristar didn't respond to these points, but told me that as the advance payments to Rob had been relatively small, they had written them off as a gesture of goodwill. Rob's story underlines the importance to a company of having positive reviews. He believes many of the customers who backed out during the 14-day cooling-off period did so because of the volume of negative online comments. Kinex, Veristar's telecoms company, for example, gets a rating of 3.9 on Trustpilot, but its rating on Google reviews ranges from 2.1 for its Leeds office to just one star for its Nottingham operation. Among the critical customers, Carla McMillan, who runs a pottery painting shop in Chesterfield. The salesman was really good at what he did. He promised us really fast internet connection, broadband and telephone line, all bundle, everything that I would need for my business. He made it sound brilliant. He sold it on, the, the customer service was good, I'd always speak to someone that could speak English, I weren't phoning abroad, and all issues would be resolved really quickly and things like that, that's how he sold it. So when did you realise things weren't quite as you'd been promised? When the internet was just running really slow, or was always, it just didn't work did it, it was either off or it was running slow, um, and we don't even use the computer a lot in our business, it's mainly for ordering supplies in, so to me that was like, it didn't even need a lot of internet for that, and we weren't even able to do that, we weren't able to stay on websites and things. What was happening? The internet just kept going down, and it was just so slow loading websites up, it just gets so frustrating. Veristar responded by saying that Carla didn't start complaining about her telecom and broadband contracts until she was 18 months into a three-year contract and that there is no evidence she was missold. They said broadband speed depends on factors such as the quality of the line and how far the customer is from the local exchange. They detailed various offers they had made to resolve her concerns and have now contacted her to say they will allow her to leave without any termination fees and offering a credit equivalent to three months broadband rental as a gesture of goodwill. Carla has told me that she will, reluctantly, accept that. During the process, though, Carla went online and posted a negative review on Trustpilot. Basically, it was the story of how my my story over the t- past two years of slow internet connection no internet connection no help whatsoever and the fact that the customer service is vile it's bad and so you put that on i did 
Trustpilot. Yeah, and I stand by what I'd put as well. And what happened to that review? It got published at first, and then after about a week it got taken down. What do you think of that? I'm disgusted and I'm unhappy. The removal of Carla's review was not an isolated incident. Maria Jesney again. This is one of the reasons that I started to look into it a bit more in detail because I noticed that any bad review was being removed from Trustpilot within sometimes a matter of minutes. I just felt that people were not getting the full picture so that they could make an informed decision about the sort of company they were potentially planning to sign up to. Some of these bad reviews are reinstated after Trustpilot investigate them, but they're posted in the date order of when they were first published, meaning that if a review was posted two months ago and Trustpilot have only just got around to investigating it, then that means that that review would be reinstated from the date it was posted two months ago. So it would never be seen. Not many people will go back seven, eight, nine pages to look at the reviews. They'll look at the first couple of pages and move on. Now, it's not true to say that every negative review is removed, but Maria has kept track of three Veristar companies on Trustpilot, Kinex, Clear Business and Unicom. Her research shows that in the first nine months of 2019, they received 438 critical comments or scores on Trustpilot. 169 of these were removed at the company's request. We asked Trustpilot if their guidelines were being manipulated or gamed by Veristar. Trustpilot said their compliance team had found all three of the company's brands to be compliant with their reporting processes. They added that the over-reporting of negative reviews by companies is against their guidelines and that if companies consistently report authentic reviews for investigation, they will receive a formal notice to immediately cease and desist from doing so. Trustpilot said that they, more than any other review platform, are leading the way in making the reviews industry more transparent. And they have a tool called Transparent Flagging, which shows how many reviews were flagged by a company and how many then went back online after being taken down. As for the claim that reviews that are reinstated are effectively hidden from readers, they said it is placed back online at the original date it was written, allowing other consumers a clear chronological view of the information. Consumers also have the chance, they say, to filter reviews according to how many stars they have. Companies do have the right to challenge reviews on Trustpilot if they believe they're misleading or dishonest. In Carla's case, Veristar said her words were defamatory. She insists she was telling the truth. Maria Jesney again. There is a way that companies can have bad reviews removed, even if that review hasn't breached any of Trustpilot guidelines. And that is to contact the reviewer, but if the reviewer doesn't reply, perhaps because they feel intimidated, because perhaps because they don't want to speak to the company. If the reviewer doesn't reply, the company can then claim that this reviewer has not had a genuine service experience and Trustpilot will remove that review. 
I suppose from the company's point of view and from Trustpilot's point of view, they would say, well, look, if, if somebody hasn't been a customer there, somebody might have an axe to grind, it would be reasonable, wouldn't it, for them to remove that review? Perhaps, but if a reviewer has gone into a lot of detail about their experience with the company, the chances are that they are genuine customers. Now, Trustpilot told us that reviews can't be removed just because a company perceives the customer to be uncooperative. Businesses, they say, have to use one of a number of predefined reporting reasons and uncooperative is not one of them. Should it be necessary, they say, our team will then reach out to the reviewer asking for further information or for some action to be taken. For instance, if the review contains defamatory language, the reviewer will be asked to update what they've written to ensure the review is constructive and useful to those reading it. They say they provide a seven-day period in which the reviewer can respond and act upon the request. Should the reviewer not respond to the action required, the review will remain offline and will no longer be counted towards the business's overarching trust score and star rating. As for Veristar, they say they have repeatedly offered to engage Maria Jesney directly to address her concerns and in 2014 set up a dedicated email address to which she could forward complaints which would then be immediately looked into. They say they have received very few, but that their original offer to engage with her directly still stands. They say if she genuinely wants to improve their customer service, they would encourage her to discuss her concerns directly with them, preferably face to face. That's Veristar's message to Maria. This is hers to them. I would like them to look at the promises made by their reps listen to the customers, instead of removing bad reviews, to leave them online so that people can understand exactly what's going on, and also to use the reviews to improve the service rather than just trying to squash them. Maria Jesney. Now, before I go, I just want to clarify something. As you heard earlier, Maria and Gillian Buckland believe that telecoms customers should be offered 12-month contracts and they quoted section 9.5 of Ofcom's general conditions, which clearly say your provider should offer at least one 12-month contract for each service, for example landline or broadband. Now, when I checked this with Ofcom, they told me those conditions had changed in October 2018 and now say providers shall ensure that subscribers are able to subscribe to a contract with a maximum duration of 12 months. It's a subtle difference, but an important one, as it suggests that, as Veristar say, they now don't have to proactively offer a 12-month deal although the old rule, which suggested they did have to, was in play when Gillian signed up. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, if there's something you want me to investigate, feel free to drop me a line, in confidence of course, to Adrian Goldberg at hotmail.com or via direct message at Goldberg Radio on Twitter. And don't forget to keep spreading the word about Adrian Goldberg's talk show. Cheers. <laughs>